There is a future beyond shell. It is necessary, overdue, and inevitable. In its place, we are building a clean, fair, and affordable energy democracy. Get ready. Oil and gas major shell has contributed significantly to the climate crisis. It has long impeded a just transition away from fossil fuels. But what are the pathways to a future beyond shell? If we are serious about putting a stop to the polluting colonial capitalist company, we need to take a good look at the options. Bankrupting, carbon pricing, suing, nationalizing. What can we achieve with these strategies? Welcome to the Future Beyond Shell podcast, in which we explore potential pathways to responsibly dismantle Shell as we know it. We are your hosts, Archina Ramanujan and Marisol Reindl. In this two-part episode, we will look at the role of court cases and strategic litigation as tactics to counter the power of Shell. How effective is litigation in actually holding fossil fuel companies accountable? Can court cases help us cut emissions and repair historical environmental injustices like pollution in Ogoniland in Nigeria? Can they shift power to oppressed, often racialized communities? Together with our guests, we will assess whether court cases are generally too little too late to prevent disastrous climate breakdown or whether they have a genuinely transformative power. Are they a key tool to move towards a future beyond shell? In this first episode on court cases, we will be talking to Nina de Pater from Friends of the Earth Netherlands, lead campaigner on the historic Dutch climate case against Shell. The court ruled in their favor at the beginning of this year, which is very exciting news. Uh, Nina, thanks so much for being here. Could you tell us a little bit more about the climate case that Friends of the Earth Netherlands has brought against Shell? Um, you know, wh why did you bring the court case and what were you seeking to address? Yeah, um, already five years ago, uh, this idea uh, started, or there was there was some talking about uh, how can we really force Shell to reduce its emissions, to really align its business model with uh, the Paris Agreement. Um, one thing that that we noticed is that it is really difficult to keep. Uh, multinational corporations accountable for their CO2 emissions. Uh, Shell is one of the biggest. They are always in the top 10 lists of biggest uh, CO2 emitters uh, historically, but also annually. Um, and we, we've tried campaigns, we've tried lobbying, we've tried to uh, force them to change through government, uh, to government policies, but all of that didn't really work. Uh, Shell's emissions were only going up. Shell was not really uh, impressed by all of these campaigns. So at some point we thought, okay, I think we, we thought the last thing that we, the last resort would, would be this court case. So this was about five years ago. And Uh, this problem that we we noticed, so the, the the fact that Shell or also other multinational corporations are not really bound to the uh, the climate policies that individual countries make, that's what we call a governance gap. So the gap between the the power of individual countries and the power of these multinationals that that can really avoid policies in, in the countries because they are 
all of their activities are spread all over the world. So they can easily avoid um, climate action. Uh, and we thought, okay, let's try to, to go through court and force Shell to reduce its CO2 emissions. So that's what we did. We started in 2018 and well, a couple of years later, we were successful. Um, and basically what we, are, we, we demanded from Shell is that uh, the company reduced all of its CO2 emissions uh, by 45% in 2030. Uh, not just the emissions from production, but also the emissions from their products. So what the CO2 that is emitted when you burn oil and gas from Shell. Thanks, Mina. That's uh, it's a great overview, and you told us also a little bit about you know what the what the considerations were in bringing the court case, which I think was really important to highlight. And could you tell us a little bit about the current state uh, of the court case? You know what there was a ruling recently, and further developments. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um... In two, uh, on 26th of May uh, this year, there was a ruling um, and the judge, and it, the ruling was really impressive. The judge um, almost like, did disagree with all the arguments from Shell uh, and agreed with most of our arguments. So I think that was already very impressive. And of course that we won, uh, well, that's in the best part of it. Um, so that was in May uh, 26th, and then after that, uh, Shell appealed. So we are currently preparing for the appeal, um, which will take a couple of years again. Uh, and I think that's uh, right away, I'm mentioning the downside of a court case because it takes a, lo a very long time. Um, yeah, but currently we are in the process of regrouping, um, doing a lot of research to be prepared for the, uh, for the appeal. Um, but at the same time, Shell is not allowed to wait. So that's an important part of the verdict that Shell uh, was forced to directly start. So they're not allowed to wait for, for after the appeal until they have to, they, yeah, they start uh, reducing their emissions. Uh, they already have to do that now. Um, so besides preparing for the appeal, we are also um, preparing uh, on how we can increase pressure on Shell to actually start doing what they have to do. That's really interesting. So they're bound immediately. So, so I'm wondering, does that tie into how successful you think the court case has been? Do, do you think it's been effective thus far in achieving your goals? Yeah, I think a court case always, well, at least strategic litigation like we've been doing always has two goals. Uh, so there's the goal, of course, of winning the case itself against your opponent, in our case it was Shell, but there's also always this part of influencing the public opinion, influencing the debate that is going on about responsibility. Uh, and one of the things that we noticed from the beginning is that there is a shift going on on how people look at Shell. And of course, we are uh, uh, Friends of the Earth Netherlands is not the only uh, uh, party that is uh, criticizing Shell and is is campaigning about Shell. I mean, Code Road is also doing its part and uh, many more movements. So uh, all together, I think we are really achieving a shift in how people are looking at Shell. And uh, we've we've been also monitoring this. We've done we've done several uh, research or several uh, opinion researches on how people are. 
looking at Shell, uh, how they're looking at big polluters and their responsibilities. So we really see a shift in the public opinion. So beside that we won this court case, I, saw, I think we also won a big part of the public debate. Uh, and that's as important as the, as the court case itself. Definitely. I think that's a really important point. And, you know, the sort of aftershock of the of the court case ruling also was pretty worldwide, I think. So people across the world were uh, were uh, thinking about this. Yeah. So one more thing I'm wondering about is also, you know, what are you mentioned the limitations in terms of how long it takes to to litigate? Uh, What are what are other limitations in terms of achieving your larger goals uh, through strategic litigation? Um, I think, first of all, strategic litigation needs a lot of courage because it, you're exploring a new field of jurisdiction. So it's the this was the first time ever that a big uh, oil major was held accountable for its CO2 emissions in a way that we did it. So. Uh, that's a different with other court, other court cases against oil majors where they usually ask for compensation for damages. And we did not do that. We asked for a change in policies, in future policies. So that was a first. So there was nothing really to build on. There was no uh, precedent from other court cases that we could use uh, that were that, that were um, kind of, that, that we could compare to our case. So first of all, that oh, th- taking that step is already a big one, and uh, our lawyer, uh, well, luckily he did that. <laughs> and um, at the same time, it also means that you have to do a lot of research because all of the research we have we had to do for the first time. Um, and yeah, time and capacity, uh, besides money, is is one of the one of the biggest challenges in these kind of court cases. So that's one of the challenges that, as an organization, really have to be aware of when you start a court case. But another, I think, even bigger problem of of strategic litigation is the time that it takes. I mean, the climate crisis is very urgent. We don't really have the time anymore to spend spend years on court cases. So hopefully our court case will be the longest one (laughs) we know. And from all the information and all the arguments that we gathered, uh, other court cases can uh get to to their winning or to the end much quicker or court cases are not even necessary anymore because companies get afraid or uh, policymakers learn their lesson um yeah so i think one of the biggest problems is the time that it takes to do a court case what makes it very interesting is shell is it, as a multinational corporation is not just active in one country that has a lot of daughter companies in all these different countries, and we and usually they try to to uh, hide behind these these subsidiaries, these these daughter companies, and that's also what they try to do in our case. Is that, well, the headquarters is not responsible for these CO two emissions. It's all these different companies that are responsible. So you have to sue all of them. You have to go to all the different countries, which means hundreds of. Uh, court cases all over the world. And then we said, no, you are responsible for making the policies that cause dangerous climate change. These policies decide whether or not these uh, local companies will be producing fossil fuels. 
So the climate policy is made in the headquarters. Um, so that's another groundbreaking. There's, there are many, many specific legal things that I could point out, but this is a very important one because it was also the first time that this that it was really acknowledged by the judge that the headquarters is responsible for the climate activities or the the damages that are caused by the emissions from the daughter company. So, um, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I kind of forgot your question, but I hope no. it's answering. <laughs> no, this is uh, this is great. Now, what you like, sort of describing this sort of shell game of try, yeah, the corporations trying to hide betray, behind the subsidiaries. Um, yeah, I think it's a very common tactic. So, I'm curious to hear a little bit more why you. Um, yeah, I think it's striking or very indeed groundbreaking that. Shell has been held accountable in its uh, where its parent co company is located. So, is there a particular? Or what was the strategy? Or do you think what were the conditions in in the Netherlands in terms of uh, yeah of the legal situation that made this possible? Um, in the Netherlands, we know this law that is called the duty of care. Uh, and the duty of care is an unwritten uh, norm uh, that that parties have to uh, that, that judges can apply to to uh, in in all different kind of situations. But what it basically means in non legal language is that one party is not allowed to cause uh, serious harm or uh, create a danger for another party if they can take preventive measure, measures. So what we basically in a couple of hundreds of pages <laughs> argued is that Shell is knowingly and willingly uh, causing a harm, causing danger, being dangerous climate change, um, although they know what they have to do to avoid this danger from happening. And Shell, Shell has known for, for such a long time. I mean, I think most of the listeners of this podcast know that Shell has known for uh, since the 60s uh, and the 80s um, about climate change, about their own contribution. Um, they, they knew very specific uh, how much CO2 emissions were related to their uh, products. So Shell, Shell had known for a long time. And instead of doing what they had to do, uh, being avoiding this danger from happening, uh, reducing the CO2 emissions, they uh, they did the opposite. They kept on growing and uh, and and they lobbied against climate action. They spread doubt about climate change. So uh, they did everything they didn't they shouldn't have done. Uh, I think if they if they acted differently, then this whole court case would probably not be successful. <laughs> Thanks, Nina. I'm also wondering to what extent. This court case and the logic in which it holds Shell accountable in the future, and also uh, at the headquarters, uh, whether this can be applied to other court cases, and would you know would they have to be held against against multinationals or against fossil fuel companies in particular, and would they have to be brought in the Netherlands? Can they be, can those court cases also be brought in other places? Um, there are many specific things in the verdict that can be used everywhere, and there they are, and there are parts that are 
only uh, for the Netherlands that, can, that you can only use in court cases in the Netherlands. Um, so it, it kind of depends a bit also, of course, on the law in, in specific countries, uh, how, how our court case can be used. Um, but I can give you two examples of, of things that, that, that can be very effective in other court cases that are not in the Netherlands. Um, so first of all, for example, how the, uh, the non-legally binding human rights convention was used. So, um, of, of course, or of course, well, in our society, uh, multinational corporations are not bound to, um, to the human rights convention that is signed by the European countries. But there is this, uh, this guiding principles on multinational corporations. It's called the UNGP. Uh, and Shell states that it respects these UNGP, these guiding principles. Uh, and in these guiding principles, there's a lot of uh, explanation on how corporations should behave. Um, and we call that soft law. So it's not really legally binding, but there it is it is kind of consensus that this is how uh, companies should behave uh, among countries and among uh, uh, yeah, society. And very interesting is that the judge really used the soft law to, uh, to argue that Shell is not uh, respecting human rights. Mm. And, and, that's, and that's very interesting because that means that companies that are also in other Euro European countries uh, can also be um, sued on the basis of this soft law. So that was that's one thing that can be used uh, elsewhere. So basically what the judge says is by causing dangerous climate change, Shell is, is uh, violating basic human rights. Um, and the other example might be um, the fact that the judge uh, said that companies have their own responsibility besides uh, governments is also something that that in other countries can be reproduced, reproduced in, the, in this court case because we we argued show such a big company it is uh, it is bigger than many states when it comes to revenue um, and. And therefore, Shell has such a big power all over the world that it, it has its own responsibility and it can, cannot just uh, point to governments. And that's also something that the judge agreed to. Um, so those, uh, among multiple other things, those two can, can be applied in many court cases, even in countries where they don't know this duty of care act, but maybe in other types of law, they can, uh, can use this. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's super interesting, and I think uh, also gives me a lot of hope. You know that uh, also a certain turning point has been reached, and that yeah, the pressure really against these big corporations is is rising. Yeah, um, and it is happening already. I mean, we see a court case already in France against Total. Um, a court case in Germany has been announced against Volkswagen. Uh, both based on the same uh, arguments and the same uh, legal grounds as we used in the Shell case. Uh, also, the Italian company, uh, NI, received a letter of, uh, of complaint, so a letter to, to, to warn them. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's already, I mean, we are only a couple of months from the, from the verdict and it's already, we already see the effects.
Yeah. Personally, of course, uh, when I look at, at past court cases against Shell, um, what I see one limitation is or, or one big issue is, of course, um, is even if they're held accountable uh, in front of the court, how do you really make sure that this is being enforced? So I'm I'm curious to hear from you, especially because Shell is such a globally operating uh, corporation. Um, how how do you think this will play out and what do you think will be uh, challenges in this other than now also shall going into a uh, higher appeal? Yeah. Um, first of all, I think we we have for the first step, of course, is is uh, monitoring, being able to 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 see if Shell is is uh, complying to the, to the uh, uh, verdict and uh, if not, then of course we have to take measures. Um, but I think the good thing, good thing, let's, <laughs> let's uh, say it that way, is that Shell uh, is kind is pretty um, transparent in their reporting on uh, carbon emissions, uh, and it has to be because of their shareholders. Uh, so we we have a have a pretty clear picture of the emissions from Shell. So that also means that we can every year see whether or not they are complying. Um, and if they are not, then there are several things that we can do. Of course, we will increase the pressure on Shell. We we will really shame them for, for not complying to the uh, court verdict. Um, and it also means that they are taking a very big risk. And one thing that shareholders really hate is risks. Um, so it's it's very much possible that if the shareholders see that Shell is not complying, that they will step in and say, wait, this is very dangerous for our shares. So then suddenly an economic argument uh, becomes relevant. So that's something, of course, that we can also influence. We can also uh, try to influence shareholders. But that's one thing. Um, and that's also different, I think, from other cases, for example, human rights abuses from Shell in specific countries, because they are more hidden. Um, it's, it's, it's much more easy to, to, to turn your back to something that is going on on the other side of the world. Um, and this is some, and, and Shell is not really, Shell can, can avoid reporting about, about activities in specific countries but they cannot avoid reporting their CO2 emissions. Um, if Shell is really not complying, if Shell is not doing anything, then of course, at some point, if, if campaigning is not working, uh, then we have to think of uh, legal measures that can be taken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm curious to hear, we all know, of course, uh, British is um, Shell is part, partially a British company. How likely do you think is the scenario um, that uh, Shell might maybe move headquarters entirely to yeah to England and in this way try to attempt to avoid this legal ruling? Um, yeah, my first question would be how uh, do you think this is a likely scenario? And secondly, if you think that the Dutch government would then still have means to uh, hold Shell responsible? Um, yeah, because of many international trade agreements and, and different conventions that uh, 
and mo most UN countries are part of, Shell is not able to avoid this uh, verdict by moving elsewhere. So I think that's great. <laughs> uh, so also not when they go to the UK. Um, and well, there are also many other reasons for Shell to stay in the Netherlands, of course. I mean, it's also a, a great place if you don't want to pay taxes. Uh, so there are more <laughs> reasons for Shell to stay, I think, than, than to leave. But even if they decide to, to move their headquarters to the UK or to another country, then they still have to comply to the verdict. Because when they were, when the judge uh, read her verdict, Shell was uh, located in the Netherlands. Thanks, Nina. I, uh, I'm also wondering, because you, you mentioned, you know, Shell was held accountable at the headquarters, which means that there's some degree of, you know, being able to hold the corporation account accountable globally. But I, if I remember correctly, um, the Dutch court was able to hold Shell accountable because they have duty of care to their citizen, to citizens in the Netherlands, correct? And yeah. so to what extent are we still, is that a limitation, you know, for really achieving justice for communities worldwide who are already seeing the impacts of climate crisis as well as have suffered under Shell for many years? I, I, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the, the next challenges in uh, climate uh, litigation is to 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 find out if we can hold corporations accountable for damages caused to citizens from another country uh, we tried uh, in our court case we said shell is is putting everyone in danger uh, so not just the citizens of the netherlands but luckily we also had this backup uh, uh, arguments of uh, Shell is putting people in the Netherlands in danger, uh, and that's what the judge chose to to do. So, so it basically, in the end, it is the same effect because it is still about Shell CO two emissions globally. Uh, but of course, it's not an acknowledgement for all the damages that people uh, are already seeing or will be seeing in the future, especially in the global south um, or people that are less privileged than uh, the average Dutch person. Um, so, yeah, I think that will be one of the next steps in climate litigation in general. That's great. To, it's good to hear that people are really taking this seriously and, and moving it, trying to move it forward. Yeah. So as we move to sort of the last last questions, I'm wondering what do you think we can we can really curtail the power of fossil fuel companies like Shell through strategic litigation. And, you know, can we get to a future beyond Shell uh, with, with court cases? I think court cases are just one mean, like one, one way of attacking the fossil fuel industry. And at some point we really have to move beyond fossils in general, whether it's Shell or something else, we have to get rid of them. Uh, they have to, to, we have to keep them in the ground. Um, and court cases are one thing, but not the answer. Uh, in the end, everything has to, everyone, every country, every person have, has to, um, 
we all have to disapprove of, of fossil fuels and, and we have to move to a different system. And I think this court case helped us showing the responsibility of Shell, showing how Shell is behaving. Um, there were a lot of facts that we uh, we were able to present to the to the audience, to policymakers, to the judge. But in the end, we need much more, uh, and we don't have the time for so many cases. So it's not it's not just that the, the cases itself, but it's also the time that we have. So I think in the next five years, we really have to 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 shift our whole society away from fossil fuels, away from uh, companies such as Shell that still rely on fossil fuels. Yeah, I think what you mentioned is a is a great transition to one of the questions that we uh, ask every um, guest in our show, and that is uh, next to the strategic tool that we are discussing here, meaning court cases. What other tool would you pick, or do you think is absolutely necessary in yeah moving to uh, towards a future beyond shell? Um, I think to move beyond fossil fuels, we need mobilization. We need people power and we need to show that uh, change can come from the ground up so everyone can get involved um, in their own way by mass mobilization um, and I think at some point uh, when someone is ready for it and I'm not saying that we should do that to shell but uh, in general in the transition civil disobedience is also part of the change that we need. Um, so I think policymakers have their role to play, but we will only convince them if we all mobilize and if we really show that change needs to happen now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I uh, definitely, uh, coming from a grassroots uh, background, I totally agree with this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, personally, my last question is, you know, as someone, of course, who has like tried to think like Shell or like uh, for a long time, I'm curious to hear how how do you see the next steps? What do you think is Shell trying to do in the upcoming months and how should this inform? Oh, yeah. What should we prepare as as a movement or as as academics or as researchers or progressive policymakers? Yeah. I already see that Shell is is increasing its greenwashing. Um, so Shell had a had a big uh, step back. They they, uh, they were uh, kind of exposed by the judge, um, and now you already see that they are trying to win back public opinion, and they really putting a lot of effort in their greenwashing by saying, "Oh, this verdict, we have, we were already doing that," uh, and. Uh, we, from all of the research that we, we've done and all of the experience that we have with Shell, know that it's absolutely, absolutely not true. Shell is not heading in the right direction. So I think one of the, the things that we, we will have to do in the next couple of weeks, months, maybe years, is, is continuing showing the difference between what Shell is saying and what Shell is actually doing. Um, so exposing their greenwashing is one of the important things that we will have to do from now on. Absolutely. Thank you, Nina, for your insights on strategic litigation. I think we got a lot out of this discussion about how we might get to a future beyond shell with this strategy. So we're hopeful, like you, that this case will indeed open up the doors to more cases that can tackle the power of fossil fuel companies more globally. 
To our listeners, if you like the show, please follow us and like us on your podcast platform of choice. And join us for the second episode on court cases. We will be speaking to lifelong activist Celestine Akpobari from Ogoniland in Nigeria about human rights cases against Shell. You can learn more about A Future Beyond Shell at futurebeyondshell.org. For more information on our guests and the court cases we discussed today, check out our show notes.